Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. Hey there, everyone. I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. Shelly, it's good news. There's new research that says our personalities aren't as static as we've been led to believe. That's right. Longitudinal studies have found personality tends to get better over time. Psychologists call it the maturity principle. Okay, this is such a relief. Uh, I, I'm. I was wondering if there's any hope left for you. Yeah. And your growth. And your growing. <laughs> Apparently, I'm going to change one way or another. People become more extroverted, emotionally stable, agreeable, and conscientious as they grow older. I have to say, for as hard as I'm working on myself. I'm kind of wondering just how long it would really take for me to achieve a more perfected personality. Here's the deal, babe. You got to let the game come to you. And there's the problem. You're just trying too hard. Uh, maybe, maybe, baby. The idea of this episode came out actually of a recent media sensation from a study done in Florida, and it showed some shifts in the personalities of the 7,000 people it studied. Yeah, these headlines are everywhere. I think I just saw something posted on LinkedIn and a little negative. Oh, shocking. Yeah, right. And what we're going to talk about today is the breakdown of all of these latest findings, um, if they even matter for you know how we define personality, our understanding of personality, and also why we want you to get a little clearer on what this has to do with your personality. Yeah, I well, first of all, you know, like we need to do with a lot of these topics is to define our terms. Right. Really important for what do we yeah. mean by personality? What does the media mean? And also, besides the media attention and the fact that we do work on understanding our personalities, how is this a relevant topic for the Big Self Podcast? Yeah, I think the way that we talk about personality is probably quite different than the mainstream way of talking about personality. In fact, I know it is. Um, before we bring our definition, um, this topic is relevant like you're asking, why is it relevant? It's relevant for a couple of reasons. Um, for one thing, a lot of people just misunderstand the very idea of what personality is. Like uh, you'll, you'll, we hear the phrase a lot. Oh, well, she's just got a lot of personality. <laughs> or, or he's got a big personality. Uh, definitely. Or, or they know that they have these habitual recurring patterns in their life, or some really ingrained ways of thinking and operating, and they just think that's just me. And right, that's once who other, I am. Yep. And once other people understand how I am, then they'll understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, and that is true. It is true, and. It really is a huge step for people to develop some deeper understanding um, of who they are, of what it means to self-observe, so that they can really understand and and like clearly evaluate their personality structure. Right. So, yes, I get that. And another thing that we see people when when they're just starting to put their toe in the pond of this you know, inner work that we talk about, 
especially with the work we do around the Enneagram and people wanting to know their type. Uh, they think they have several types. They say, right. we'll hear a lot yeah. like, well, I'm a, th- sometimes I'm a three and sometimes I'm an eight and every now and then I'm a seven. Yeah. And as we like to remind our audience and our clients from time to time, our, our mission is not to deconstruct personalities. Our mission is to mm-hmm. understand them. Yeah, that's, that's right. Our, our personalities form for a reason. And I, the way I think about personality is our ego structure. This develops for a reason. They, our personalities get us to where we are for a reason. We function in them individually. So they're very, you know, personal to us and we use them to our advantage socially. Totally. And, you know, if you want to grow, you simply, you start with understanding and knowing your type is a way of self-understanding. Yeah, and therefore a way to grow. So let's dig in, shall we? Yes, and let's add a little bit more situational context here. The bad news first, <laughs> it's hard to change, and you should see it as a process and not aim for perfection like ever Right. Like, you know, we, we had a couple of podcast, a couple of episodes ago talking about resistance. We've already thoroughly covered that. So Mm -hmm. with that out of the way, some good news. I like to end with the good news (laughs) for around the past, I don't know, say about a hundred years of research, social science and management research to bring this into the professional world a little bit, have shown that social intelligence is critical to a person's overall success. Did everyone Mm -hmm. hear that? For about a hundred years. This isn't groundbreaking research. Social intelligence is critical to your overall success. Mm -hmm. The problem has always been in the how. Yeah. How? Do you develop social intelligence? Yeah, it's like we know that social intelligence is the glue that holds relationships together. And it, but it's so intangible and it's so hard to define and, and talk about how do you develop that. So mm-hmm. I think about social intelligence in a couple of different ways. There's uh, two different factors with it intrapersonal intelligence which is the ability to know yourself, know yourself accurately, clearly, and to use that knowledge to operate successfully in life. And so that's intrapersonal. Mm -hmm. Interpersonal, so between people, interpersonal intelligence is the ability to understand and work well with others. And so you can read others' emotions and you can influence others' experiences. Of you yes. and in life. Oh, yes. Uh, that's that's great. And, you know, that actually reminds me of a quote from Warren Bennis that I read a long time ago. I mean, because, I mean, people have been talking about this. I th- this was from a book probably from the 90s. But I really re- I remember the quote. And it, it is, it's becoming a leader is synonymous with becoming yourself. It is precisely that simple and it is also that difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. 
And that's really what we're going to get here at today with with this focus on personality and what it means. Um, honestly, developing your leadership style, it's going to be less about learning a bunch of new skills and more. Good. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, true. It's more about unlearning these habits and breaking free from limiting mindsets that you've acquired throughout your life. I wonder which is harder, learning or unlearning? I guess it depends mm. on what it is. Yeah. Unlearning, it's hard. But so for our definition, I would begin, Shelly, by just also adding that in our current era, milieu, we are faced with more tests of our capacities and resilience than ever before. Okay. I'm saying it here, right here on the Big Self Podcast. You've got business becoming more globalized technologies that are supposed to improve your lives, which also inherently complicate them at the same time. I think there's a, there's a term for that. What is that? Where like technology is always this, there's all the dishwasher, the crock pot, right? It's always supposed to improve your life. And it inevitably just leads to like us having higher expectations and we just we're busier and busier and busier and have more to do. I, I don't know, yeah. but I need to know that word. Yeah. We need to remember that. We'll come up. If anybody, Hey, if y'all know that word or what that phenomenon is, let us know. Phenomena. Uh, th- things. So basically it's just the things are changing faster than ever. And so we're more aware of the anxieties of our politics, our planet, our flawed education system, all these things than ever before. So what does that have to do with our personality? Okay. Okay. Well, I would say that we desperately need help in understanding ourselves and so, mm-hmm. and this is probably why this this article took off to the extent that it did. Yet we desperately need we need leaders who can rise above their ego concerns. Please step right up. The way their you know the way that their personalities are created, and we need we need leaders who are going to create some bold visions. We need to get things done. With these bold visions, and 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 t- by the way, could you maybe not stress everybody out while while you're doing it? Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, though we we all tend to go around pretty unconscious of our behaviors and the effect we're having on other people, and then thereby, I think, pretty unconscious of our personalities. Well, totally, totally. We I'm, think we know, right? We think we know this is who I am. Yet there, it's the iceberg effect, right? There's a tiny little sliver that we're conscious of, and most of it is, mm. is not conscious. Oh, that is so true. You know, actually, that reminds me, I remember working under a boss. This was long enough ago that I can, I think I can share. You know, I was working under a boss in the academic world, and, you know, and when she was around, just everyone was a little extra tense, and she, she would yell at people who weren't getting their job done. She would surprise colleagues by sitting in and just suddenly observing their classes unannounced. And just generally speaking, she would just drum up drama. And when she wasn't around or had to be somewhere else, everyone just was like way more 
at peace. Mm-hmm. And, and things just, well, what do you know? They just kept functioning normally just without the stress. And, you know, and of course, no one felt like they could give her any feedback that she would actually hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's exactly to your point of, I, di- I just really, I guess now I can have a little bit of grace for her because I don't think she was, first of all, I don't know what led to her having to behave like that, but I also just don't think she was that aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting to think about like, is it a stress response that put her into those behaviors or was it more intrinsic to her quote personality? Because the truth is she probably had little idea truly of like what impact she was having on everyone around her. Right. Probably not. Or, you know, or, or even to this, it at least it had gotten her this far in life. Like she was the leader. She was the, the, the director, the Mm -hmm. chair. Yeah. It worked on some level to get her to where she was. So without digging into what we mean by ego too much, because we have, we've talked about that on other podcasts. Um, I just want to say that, you know, what we talk about, we talk about falling asleep to ourselves a lot, that there is um, intrinsic in your personality is that you have fallen asleep to the core, to the essence of who you are. That's and when we talk about falling asleep to ourselves, that's what we're talking about. That's when we are operating in personality. It's these habitual patterns. We don't give them much thought. We, we lose touch with certain aspects of our experience that threaten us or make us uncomfortable. And so we begin to put that stuff into our unconsciousness, our shadow, and then we get into kind of habit, you know, um, auto, autopilot is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> right. I couldn't think of the word. Um, And at the same time, we develop this, like a a persona of what works. So we're really looking at avoiding anything that's threatening and uncomfortable. How do we do more of what's working, what's being reinforced, what we're getting uh, good feedback around. And that's, that's really how this personality structure gets formed. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point about the falling asleep. It's like, I think every religion, every, uh, every type of like wisdom that we see, it's about, it is that idea that we are slumbering. Mm -hmm. It's not that we need to find ourselves. It's that we need to awaken to who we are. So that persona, as you mentioned, or that, that false self that we develop, that is the ego, or, you know, you could say it's the executive director of that waking, sleeping self. Yeah. I, I want to just say about, you know, it, our personalities typically mm-hmm. get pretty solid around between ages five and seven is, is what we have historically thought about personality development mm-hmm. and what, what we know. And you think about what, what happens uh, leading into that stage and those kind of those formative childhood years, and you, we are taking in so much information around the world, or from the world around us, especially our our families, right? The holding environment oh, yeah. we call it, 
And so we're looking, we're taking cues from the people around us for how, how are we going to get what we need and avoid what feels bad. And so we're, you know, we're taking in that stuff in this very unconscious level and that we begin to form our behaviors around those beliefs. And so if, if it's clearly, if I'm getting cues and I'm getting feedback in my family of origin that anger is despicable, then I will learn to not show anger. And, in, and when I'm learning it at that really young of a formative age, that becomes solidified in my worldview, in my behaviors. All of that gets kind of concretized around those early beliefs, yeah. around those early beliefs of how do I get what I need and avoid what's what feels bad. And just so, to add to I'm sorry, just to add to what you're saying and, and and that anger gets pushed down somewhere. Right. Yeah. And and most you know what I what we see a lot in our work is that you know we you grow up, you go through childhood and adolescence and into adulthood and on some level that personality works for you. Like it is, there's what we call functional personality. And so everybody yes. has functional aspects of their personality. It could be like there's some times when you don't want to show your anger and that gets reinforced over and over and over again. So then you become a person that's not angry. Like you just, that's not part of your personality or where they're really just kind of go with the flow or they don't ever get angry and that's who they are. Well, is it who you are or is it what, how you learned to get what you needed and avoid what felt bad as a kid. And so that's what we're talking about, like these kind of um, unexamined ways that we walk through the world. And, and a lot of times what happens is that that um, unexamined behavior starts to get disrupted and it starts to not work. It starts to not serve you. And that's where a lot of people come to us in coaching quite frankly, is they're like, you know, this is finally reaching a tipping point. You know, the ways that I've always done something and the ways I've always thought or felt or behaved are no longer serving me. Like it's actually sabotaging me. And so the personality begins to break open and de get deconstructed a little bit. And I think that's what this research is looking at. Yeah. So I like that you're pointing out the family of origin thing and the shadow side, I'm thinking about how we will say that we are going to break the cycle and never do all of these things that our parents did. And then as soon as we become parents, we find ourselves <laughs> functioning and, and, and doing things that our parents very, very much did. It's just a case in point for, we don't mean to even, sometimes we don't even like some of these characteristics about our family of origin that we absolutely definitely embody. And I would just say that some of those are blind spots. There are parts of ourselves that have fallen asleep. And, you know, the end result is that we end up basically not really knowing ourselves nearly, nearly as well as we think we do. Mm -hmm. And so the long and short of it is that when it comes to who we really are and why we do the things we do, we often only see ourselves as our personality, 
as this ego, this self image, the person if, if, like look at Facebook any, any given day, right? The person we want others to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we become, we become limited by the fact that we don't know all of who we are. Right. right? And, and we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And when we don't understand who we really are, both in terms of what we like defensively hide from ourselves and I, and our higher potentials, right? So it's both. It's hard for us to grow. It's hard for us to develop the people skills that we need, those interpersonal skills, um, to be as successful as we can be in our personal and, our, I would say, our professional lives. That's great. I love that. And and so basically, I would say that's how we loosely define our personality, and you know, in just terms that are. As easy to understand, easier to understand than trying to read Freud, and uh, you know, and and how it's relevant to this conversation. Now, how does the media define personality, mm-hmm. Shelley? Um, these you know personality traits. There, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds like I'm it, so glad you're saying it that. became you know when you th- personality researchers and, th- and scholars looked at all kinds of factors and it just became uh, too cumbersome to actually measure okay. like what are we actually talking about here and okay. so the originators of the big five personality oh. measure and theories really whittled it down to these five kind of main pillars of personality. And these are the five. Extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, openness to experience, and neuroticism. Those are the mainstay of personality research. Yeah, and so what's interesting, in the past, researchers found that individuals levels so each individual level of personality trait relative to other participants tended to stay pretty consistent within each decade of life right we we totally thought that or up until this new study there was this huge implied understanding that our personality was static mm-hmm. yeah and in and it is to a degree, right? So, and a lot of times when people ask me this question, um, the flavor of your personality, it shows up differently in different seasons of life and through different experiences. And so there's always a conversation around, well, when I was younger, I was really, you know, this, and then I got older and I'm kind of more this. So there is a thread of consistency that goes through it. But what but what this new theory is looking at is, you know, this idea of a maturity principle. And so this this I think this is so fascinating. So the maturity principle really speaks to one thing that holds true for all of us and that is changing expectations. Mm-hmm. So as we mature, as we grow, as we begin to interpret life experiences differently, our expectations change and shift. And so as we adjust to life, whether it's like going to college or starting your, your career, starting a family, it 
I mean, those things, they do kind of wear on you and like a pair of new pair of shoes, right? It's like you break them in and over time, um, yeah. you begin to evaluate in different contexts across your life a little bit differently. And so the th- here's the thing. There's no, there's not a user manual for how to do this, right? For how to act, but there's a very clear implicit norm for how we should behave in these situations. And so we're, we're constantly evaluating and normalizing and then we adapt. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of cultural expectations and these, we, we hear these stories of like our, our grandparents or great grandparents, uh, going to going off to fight in like world war two at the age of 17 and 18. And we look at our 18 year old and we're like, you know, they like thinking of them going and fighting a war. Zero chance in hell. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that would be a good thing. Let's just put it this way. They have different um, values. I don't know. They're good at a lot of different things. (laughs) Yeah. There's a very positive spin on it, but you know, that's cultural expectations. There's nothing, you know, anyway. Yeah. So I think what, so amongst some of the things that this recent study found agreeableness and conscientiousness tend to increase slightly between the ages of 18 and 50. Your age. (laughs) which one (laughs) while neuroticism decreases slightly on average. Mm -hmm. So some in the, in the study, they argue that these normative changes reflect a universal biological maturity and Mm -hmm. others argue that they think it's due to expectations of typical adult life kind of actually is it is it by a lot is it so this is the the classic is it um nurture or nature and it's always both right (laughs) um (laughs) that's the answer it's always both it makes me think of i just want to insert this for a second because here's where my head is going um i'm thinking of levels of awareness that we have been taught by our teachers and really looked at different levels of consciousness. Um, David Hawkins, you know, B, Beatrice Chestnut and Aranya Pius have taught us about different levels of awareness. And so, you know, with not only the, the adaptability, the resilience, the kind of new information creates these shifts, but I think also the, the intentional work that we do and we teach other people to do around self-observation to increase your awareness, increase your level of consciousness, not only about who you are, but about everybody in the world around you. And it's interesting because I remember Aranya saying, um, when people really intentionally do this work at higher levels of awareness, they all start to look alike. Hmm. And that the... the um, the rigidity or kind of the, the, the trappings of our personality starts to fall away. And so at these higher levels of awareness, which may be this, this kind of maturity principle. But that, I don't want us to all look alike. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think I, I want to put in the show notes um, Dan Harris who used to be an ABC, I think oh, ABC yeah, news Oh, yeah, he's anchor, great, he's great. Who has left... Um, 
news media and has created a um, an app and really a, a whole organization called 10% Happier mm-hmm. focused on mindful meditation, mindfulness meditation. He has a, uh, I'm sorry, TED Talk that just came out like a couple weeks ago. And he uh, kind of, in a little bit of a, a way, talks about his own growth and really what he did, how he grew through meditation. But it's funny because he, you know, he did a 360 degree review, um, got a lot of feedback that was not great, was not stellar. He did a lot of inner work, especially in meditation, and then did a 360 review again. And the feedback was much better, but it's funny. His wife was reading it with him and she said, Congratulations! Now you're boring. Oh, and I thought, you know, that's I because it's the the more work I do on myself, the less reactive I am. Oh, yeah, less drama. Less drama. The the more calm I am, the more I don't get as easily triggered. Yeah, I'm not in those kind of habitual personality patterns as much. Like I spot them. Um, I don't know that my personality has changed, but I do think I'm more boring. (laughs) I think I'm a little, like, I think when you do this, um, when you, you start to what, you know, we call deconstruct the personality, um, it, it doesn't feel as tumultuous. I guess that's the thing. And I don't know that's specifically what the study is looking at, this maturity principle. But I do, I, I think there is something. The longer you live life, the more aware you are, the more you grow, the more you adapt, um, the more you begin to increase your level of self-awareness. And I think the, the trappings, the rigidity of your personality starts to... I don't know. It just starts to fade away a little bit. There's some thinking though, that like when we unveil ourselves and when we like take away the false personas that we are the most individual, we are the most unique when we find that very authentic part of ourselves as well. But overall, I do totally understand what you mean. And it kind of reminds me of, I can't remember which writer said that, but someone was asked like, well, why do you always write about, you know, these kinds, these kinds of people? And she said something like, you know, all, you know, actually Hemingway also might've said something about it, but like happy families are all happy in very similar ways. Hmm. It's the, broken Mm -hmm. dynamics. It's the messed up things that are dramatic. Right. And what people want to read about (laughs) or or watch news about or talk about. I guess so. Yeah. It's the, it's the, um, the (laughs) well-adjusted non-reactive, which is what I think we're all ultimately striving for, but that is ultimately, it's not dramatic. It doesn't always make the great story. I, I mean, just to speak a little bit spiritual for a minute, um, because I am in this 11-month course right now looking at the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram and how it's, it's complex to talk about, but in a nutshell, our personality type, so our type structure, one through nine, is a distortion, uh, it's a, the persona, the distortion of 
of who we really are, something much more intrinsic. And what what I'm learning through this course is that I think what you're saying is true. There is, we are highly um, individualized, even in essence, because we are reflecting a very unique, specific character, characteristic of God, of source, of, um, you know, grounded being. And so what happens though in our humanness that becomes very distorted Mm. um, Mm -hmm. early in childhood. And so, you know, as you unlearn and unpack and really get, start to see personality, I think it does reveal something much more intrinsic that um, like as a two, what I'm learning is, you know, this idea of love is so, so much a part of who I am, even I think even at core. Right, right. That got so distorted, um, got so distorted into this kind of um, um, unconscious manipulation to get my own needs met. And so, but, but it's still love. It's still a characteristic of God that is in me that I'm here to express um, I just, I don't want to do it with so much heartache. Yeah. And I think that's what personality does. Oh, very eloquent. I like the way you said that. Uh, so, wow. Let's see. I would say that what we're, the message we are trying to send to you all that we would really like for you to take away as you're listening to this podcast is that, you know, this media sensation of this study aside, the way that they, the five character traits that they're able to measure were much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. What we're wanting to really trans, to transform ourselves in ways that make a difference that shows results is to learn about personalities and the ensuing behavior patterns and the, and the motivations behind them. That's important in order to know like which way to direct our growth. So I think that's what we are on a mission to solve and help people with, but most books right now, and and same with this study, hopefully, but you know, if you go to a bookstore right now and you go to that self-help section, which we resist, but I think our books will go under self-help, but it's because (laughs) most of that stuff it isn't actually evidence-based. Why? Because we are still trying to figure out how to actually improve your self-control and how, say, to improve your self-esteem. So, to, But to their credit, these researchers are very much helping us in that very cause to try and understand more and more what it what it is that really makes people change because right now we don't know as much as we would like about the process. I want to say this because I, I think this is a lot of really good information that might feel pretty theoretical okay. to, to you, you guys that are listening. And so to keep, to make it practical and just to give you an example, um, I, you know, one of the things about like I would I have always scored quite high on agreeableness, right? And so as a as a a type two, as someone who has um, very aware of my people pleasing tendencies, 
um, that makes sense, right? And so, you know, one of the things I've observed about myself, especially over the last five or so years, is how um, protective that function is in my personality and how it gets me in trouble. Like it really does get me to commit to things that are more than I need to do. Um, it's it's an attempt to control how other people think about me, whether I want to call it that or not. It is about control. Um, if I'm a, if I'm you know in that people pleasing, agreeable um, mode, I always have a smile on my face or, you know, I use a lot of emojis or I use a lot of exclamation points, um, to convey and like kind of there's, there's this flattery that happens. And so it's all this unconscious attempt to, um, you know, please people to get them to like me. Right. And, and so the thing is too, we know that it works, you know, you that's know, that the that's, functional part of it, right. Yeah. There is this, um, functional, like it serves me well in some ways, but what, but you know, here I am at 48, I'm learning. It doesn't serve me well in a lot of ways. Like, and mm-hmm. in fact, it totally sabotages me because it gets me into relationships, situations, um, environments that I don't need to be in. I'm, I'm doing too much on behalf of other people. And so part of deconstructing personality for me is really looking at that pattern that I was blind to for 40 something years because it was just who I am. Like, I'm just, I'm just friendly. (laughs) Right. You know, I'm, I'm a nice person. And now I see like, that is a part of me, like that kind of love idea that I was just talking about. It is intrinsic to who I, to who I am and who I feel like I was created to be, but it becomes this tool um, and I, I wield it in unhealthy ways. And I think that's what we have to look at for when we're talking about personality and how we can grow past it or mature through it. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. Oh, right. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought us back down to earth with a little, you know, kind of practical application of this. Because also, honestly, if you're motivated, you know, I do, I do know that there are ways for you to figure out your how for, for knowing, for you to like know where you are, have an assessment. And then we do have tools that can help direct you to not only know where you're at, but almost like with a compass to know the directions for the how you can grow Mm -hmm. beyond your given personality structure and the patterns that you may be aware of and the ones that you might not even be aware of. Yeah. And I think the, the, of course we use Enneagram and it's a great tool, um, to really understand like a shortcut to understanding your personality. Uh, but even the Enneagram is not the whole story. It's it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. Um, really looking at your values, you know, I think values show up that, that they're not personality, but they can be, you know, show up in our personalities. Those definitely shift as we mature and as we age, um, they just are different. And so I think there's a lot of, of pieces to this puzzle that if you're not 
happy. Let's just call it that. If you're not happy, you know, figuring out, asking what's, why am I not? Like what's going on? And if you don't know that, you don't know the how, that's when we would just, we'd love you to reach out. You can find us on bigselfschool.com. Um, email us and let's we can talk about what would that roadmap look like for helping you understand what are the conditions that are are not happy in your life right now so hopefully this has helped clarify what it means when you hear the media talking about personality and really what we're meaning when we talk about personality and actually how you can grow in certain important respects with who you are. So join us and find out more for yourself from your own firsthand experience.